welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's Monday night here in New Zealand. We've all had a hard day at work, but it's podcast time now. So we're going to have a little bit of a pep talk to get everybody up. We've got heaps coming up in this episode. BJ Watling's retirement, New Zealand contracts, schedules galore. And then we move on to talk about an England-New Zealand test preview. We can't leave it without talking about Cameron Bancroft's comments and Sandpaper Gate being reopened again. It's all going to be on at the Ashes later in the year. The Barmy Army will not be silenced about this. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. start with home news and BJ Watling announcing his retirement and drops off the contract list for obvious reasons because he's announced that retirement um, prior to the tour of England but going out on his swan song hopefully with the world test championship final and three games for him to play in the mother country yeah absolutely wouldn't that be a great way for his career to end I mean I think he he touches if there's a Venn diagram of all the things that we like to talk about here obviously we've got the black caps we've got wicket keepers We've got gritty, nuggety players, Aussie battlers, and I mean that in the nicest way about Watling because that's the kind of player that he is and it has been his whole career. He's the kind of guy who seems to only score runs whenever anybody's in trouble. Whenever I, I found some stats when uh, nobody has scored more runs since his debut at six, coming in at six or lower, uh, since the start of 2018, no one has faced more balls per dismissal at four coming in at four for 100 or four for four for 150 and that's the kind of player he is when they when they're 300 for four he gets a duck uh, yeah he, he's he's going to be sorely sorely missed for New Zealand yeah two things will forever stand out for me about BJ Watling if he hasn't made runs it's because the situation's not dire enough mm. and he will finish if he f- keeps wicket for these last three tests he'll be New Zealand's longest serving wicket keeper in terms of of test innings or tests kept so a tremendous legacy uh, for BJ Watling and big gloves to fill for whoever comes after him, that's for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, uh, when I think about BJ Watling, for some reason in my head, I still think about him as that opening batsman that, that started his career for New Zealand. But then when you actually look at the stats, he played 65 of his 73 tests as a wicketkeeper, which, which really surprised me when I first saw it. Well, I, I guess that's the point I was going to make is that we tend to forget that he, 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 he had to work a lot on his keeping in order to make that side and hold his position in the New Zealand uh, in New Zealand team. I think that he revolutionised not the right word, but he has carried on that sort of nuggety sort of persona that you're talking about, and he's he's done it really well, better than anyone in New Zealand. We've gone from people you think about uh, Brendan McCullum as a wicketkeeper; he's com- the complete opposite mm. in terms of a wicketkeeping batsman. Uh, I also think that he he you know probably didn't want to announce it before the before the game started, but the contract sort of uh, life cycle sort of dictated it. But um, yeah, I think he's had a really good career and he should be proud of it. Yeah, well, when you look at how his you know when you run through all those stats of his career, I think he's now the ninth. He's got the ninth most dismiss, test dismissals of all time. You know, he's scored uh, I think more runs uh, than McCullum as a keeper and things. You know, he he I, I, I think. You might argue that McCullum had more of an impact maybe when he was in his in the side, but you could easily argue that McCullum is our greatest wicketkeeper of all time. Watling. Yeah, Watling, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, look, f- for me, I think that the thing that stands out, I, I think he's a bit better than Nuggety. I, I think that that's a, a word that we often use to describe someone. Like, I'd describe Michael Atherton as Nuggety, and you look at his career record, probably doesn't um, sort of warrant the amount that English fans, particularly of my generation, will talk about him. But Watling, for me... Reminds me a lot of Matt Pryor, actually. Um, came into the side as a as a batter who kept um, and ha- really had to prove himself with the gloves and turn himself into a really, really good test match keeper. You don't often talk about his keeping now, which is, you know, the old cliche. If you don't notice a wicketkeeper, it's because he's doing a good job. The other thing I'd say is his test record is as good as his first test record with the bat. And that, you know, that probably does back up the point that he's nuggety, right? That, you know, <laughs> he, he scores those kind of runs, you know, in the top echelon um, of the game. But yeah, it's going to be really strange not seeing him um, with the gloves on. Um, and look, as an English fan, I'm, I'm going to be glad not to see him coming in at seven because um, he's played some innings against us. That 200, um, I think, in the Mount um, a mm. couple of years ago, mm. um, you know, still gives me uh, still gives me nightmares on those uh, those turgid wickets. That I don't think we talked about. 
we have mentioned those turgid wickets before. And I mean, I, I guess in in a way, um, I guess the positive out of it, we're going to see Tom Blundell now move to his position as wicketkeeper, batting down the order. Uh, Raj and I were talking in the car about how now this on the way up here now that this is going to give Tom Blundell his opportunity, and, and you know he's probably going to miss out on this Test squad. Oh, on this test side, actually the lineup for the next three tests that they play, but now he'll get his opportunity to shine and, and we'll get to see, you know, what Tom Blundell can be as a, as a test cricketer. When's the next time you do play test cricket after this? Is it, Will it be the New Zealand summer? Uh, we're scheduled to play some tests against India, I believe, uh, but then they're kind of not on, they're ones that are in the calendar, but not on the calendar, if you know what I mean. They're, they're upcoming tours, but there's actually nothing, no dates announced. And obviously there's so much uh, going on, going on and there's, there's a lot the of T20. T20 cricket that's scheduled for everybody. Uh, just on the other contract news before we, we, we round it out. So the big sort of uh, surprises there, AJ's dropped out. Uh, who else is there? There was, there was only AJ's Patel. Phillips and Mitchell in, AJ's and Watling out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think the AJ's one's quite an interesting one. I mean, he's a, uh, it's really unlucky. He's had a really unlucky summer. And I think the fact that he didn't play and, and also the fact that we'll probably get into a lot later around how New Zealand is able to use spin with their current lineup with someone like Jameson coming into the mould, how we actually balance our side and, and how New Zealand can fit a spin into that side probably reflects how AJs can actually play because I think when they do the when they do the, the rankings for New Zealand and, and how they do the contracts, they go and rank on how much people they expect people to play. And they I would say when they line it all up, they probably can't find that many spots for AJs to actually play given that he's only a one format player. And that's the thing is you look at the names on the list and who do you actually leave out mm. from that list? They all deserve to be there. New Zealand, from what I've been seeing, I've been looking at a lot of the country's contracts and how they're doing it centrally. New Zealand's probably has one of the smaller sets of contracts that they, they give out. I mean, Sri Lanka had 32 prior to the ones they've just given out recently, which is down to 24. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's, it's who do you leave out? Yeah, well, exactly. And and I think on the positive side, it's it's really great. I mean, we've talked about Daryl Mitchell a lot this summer, but I, it's great that he's been rewarded with a, with a contract because he absolutely deserves one. And, and you know, we'll, we'll get to it when we talk about the series. But, you know, he's putting his hand up for a starting spot in, in all formats now, and he's done a great job. So what does this mean for the specialist spinner in John Test side going forward? We've had this conversation before, but, haven't we? Well, we've 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 alluded to it, but now it's been formalised. What does that mean? Uh, I think it means what it's meant the whole time that that they're a bit part player in New Zealand Test lineup, and um, you know, like I said, it, it's going to be really hard to the the fact that you've got four seamers pushing so hard for spots, and and that we you know the depth in New Zealand seam stocks are so strong. I don't know where you can fit a spinner in unless unless they can bat at the moment because they're just not that relevant when they play at home. Mm. And then overseas, we just don't have that many overseas tours where they become relevant. Yeah, I think Ratchin Ravindra becomes really important for New Zealand cricket moving forward. If he can continue to develop as a better, I mean, he's only young, he's only 21, but he shows a bit of promise with the ball and he shows that he can bat at a domestic level this season. You know, he had a, a poor season probably by his standards at first class level. But I think that's where the future lies for it. If you want to be a spinner in a New Zealand setup in the next five years, you better be able to bat in the top five or six um, and then bowl some part-time spin. I, I guess the choice for him, though, is if he's got the time to spend on the bowl. And we've seen a lot of guys. Yeah, that's right. Steve Smith, you know, came in almost the reverse, didn't he? He's a spinner who batted a bit and now, you know, won't bowl for Australia probably ever again. No, probably not. Um, you've, you've got guys that, are, you know, have come through pretty much every country that have got that little bit of promise. Nasser Hussain and Michael Atherton were actually... Um, open the bowling for England schools as leg spinners, believe it or not, and then barely bowled in their, you know, in their Test career. So he, he's got a choice to make, hasn't he? Yeah, Ravindra? he does. But but you know, guys that can bowl a little bit of spin, particularly if you can bowl left arm spin or or, or wrist spin, add a lot of value. You have a look at Manus in the BBL; he added a lot of value with his leg spin and, and appealing. Well, he's got two hundred wickets. <laughs> he's got two hundred wickets, Test wickets to get, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got one hundred and ninety eight to go, something like yeah, that. Yeah, so don't don't watch the county championship highlights yeah, of no, Manus bowling. He he has sent down some serious pies in the in the first few. He rounds. hasn't had a great uh, county championship. We'll move on. So let's talk schedules. Australian home summer. So pretty lean in terms of a, a warm up for the Aussie guys leading in to the Ashes. Bordy, I know. 
you're going to want to talk probably about the grounds and the orders that have been changed for the first time in as long as I can remember. Yeah, the interesting thing is we get a uh, we don't get a warm up test, but we get a test in Hobart for the first time since I think 2016. It's been a while since we've played a test in Hobart, but Australia will play Afghanistan to open their summer at, at uh, Blundstone Arena uh, in Hobart, and I think that's effectively going to be uh, either a warm up for for most of the players who are looking to come back into that test side. So guys like Warner and Pukowski will look to get back into test form um, in that in that fixture. You would think. There are a few guys who are going to be auditioning for that Ashes squad, um, a couple of the fast bowlers. I think there'll be a shootout between Nisa and Meredith, potentially even Mitchell Stark uh, in that test against Afghanistan. And Travis Head as well is probably auditioning for his role in the side. So there'll be a, a, a few guys who need to tune up and a couple of guys who will be treating it as, as, a, as an audition. What do you think about going from Hobart, which um, is pretty cold, yeah, it is, to, yeah. to, to, to Brisbane, which is pretty warm it's reasonably warm uh, look I don't think it will affect them too much I think there are a few of the guys will get a rest I think Cummins Hazelwood will probably get a rest in that test match against Afghanistan and they'll and they'll audition some guys for the Ashes and keep Cummins and Hazelwood maybe even Lyon fresh for that test match uh, but it's really one for the batters to try and get some form in before we hit England on at the beginning of or end of November I think beginning of December mm. um, in Brisbane so I guess uh, they're playing six test matches in eight weeks uh, there's a couple of ways to go about that first match. So it's actually their first game in like 300, 300 days or something mm. like that. It's a while. So if you are Australia, what what do you think? I'm going to come to you, Lippy. Do you play your full team? I guess I'm more talking about the bowlers here. Do you pay, play your number one squad going into the Ashes? You're like, you want to prime them ready to go. Or do you, do, do you rest them a little bit and, and set them up for that first game? You know it was interesting to hear you say that they, you think they'll rest in Bully because, I mean, I guess it depends. The, the The way to answer this is probably depends on how far deep they go in the in the World T20 because that'll be obviously just before that. It finishes about mid-November, I think. So if mm-hmm. they go right the way through to that, then they have to come back to Australia. We don't know what the quarantine requirements and all of that kind of stuff will be on the way back. So if they're deep in that tournament, then maybe they don't want to get off a plane and, and go straight into that tournament. But for someone like Lyon, I mean, surely he was, he's be itching to play Test cricket by then, won't he? Oh, he will, but I would like to see Mitch Swepson play. I would like to see him get a Test match this summer because I think he had a good Shield season and he deserves a go. He, sh- he probably shouldn't play against England unless there's an injury, and that would be the only opportunity for him to get a go. Lyon will probably end up playing a few Shield games. I'm not sure what the Shield schedule is like leading into that Test match, but I imagine Lyon will play that. I just want to see um, Mitch Swepson get a go because I think he's going to be a good a good player. My understanding is I do get a bit of shield cricket in as a warm up, and yeah. we, let's not forget we've got to fit at least two, if not three, IPLs in before the Ashes start. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's a lot uh, there's to get through, be, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so those guys like Cummins and Hazelwood will, will have a pretty high workload anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of those two gets a rest. I would think that Cummins and Hazelwood would play four out of the five tests against England. Um, and that leaves room for Pattinson to play two or three test matches in the summer. I would imagine that Stark will play three, maybe four tests, um, and then you've got an opportunity there to play Meredith or, or, and or Nisa for a couple of tests because you've got to get through 18 tests worth of, of, of bowling from those five or six fast bowlers unless you know someone comes out of the woodwork. A bit off track here, but you said you want to see Swepson get a go. Like, Should that be test cricket? Shouldn't you just be playing your, your best 11 at all times? Well, we know that that's not a reality, right? We know that, that, particularly for fast bowlers, that playing every test match in a calendar window is no longer a reality. So we know that there's going to have to be some management of fast bowlers. It's like the All Blacks. The All Blacks take an opportunity when they're playing a lesser nation to blood one or two players that they think have a future in the All Blacks, and that's what I'd like to see Australia do with Schwipson. And you've seen that rhetoric come out of the England camp as well. They've been really, really pointed to say that the likes of James Bracey, Ollie Robinson, um, and a couple of others, they've said, we don't want people debuting in the Ashes. Yep. So this summer, for them, is going to be about blooding uh, some players as well. So... Um, yeah, maybe we're going to see that as a as a reality. Uh, I think it is. It's great that Afghanistan test is going to be really exciting. It's great that they're going to be down there. They've they look through their tests. They've, they've had six tests. They've had three wins, three losses, no draws yet. Mm. They've you know they've they've knocked off Bangladesh. You know the, I think uh, 
there wouldn't be, I don't think any test playing nations would have had the success they've had through six games. I know that, you know, their other wins are against Ireland and, and Zimbabwe, but even still, you know, many, many countries took a long, long time to win their first test. So I think that the fact that they've gone so quickly into a test win and, and three test wins is really impressive. Oh, massively impressive. And and even though I've said that there'll be guys who will be, who will be rested, it's not because we're taking them lightly at all. It's because we need to get guys ready for the next series. Um, and that's no disrespect to Afghanistan at all. If it was Pakistan, if it was Sri Lanka, if it was anyone other than maybe one of the two or three big sides in world cricket, I think that's what they'd be doing. Um, just before we move off the Australian test schedule, uh, the women are going to play two tests this summer, which is fantastic news. So there's a, um, a test that's scheduled against India, that's TBC, and as part of Australia and New Zealand competing uh, in the Women's Ashes, which is a multi-format um, uh, championship, Australia will play a test in the capital over the Australia Day weekend against England, which will be fantastic for people who want to get down to the Monica Oval and see it. And Australia have done a really good job, I think, of making sure that there are very few clashes between men's and women's cricket over the summer. So you should be along, able to get along to see as much of that international uh, cricket in Australia as possible. It's good to see. And, and Bordy, a break from tradition. We've got the first test in Brisbane, which we normally see, but the mm. last test move into the Optus in Perth, which you're not happy about? Only because I think traditionally England struggle a little bit in Perth. I know it's not as bouncy and as fearsome as the Wacker has been in days gone past, and I think England have got a pretty good pace attack that could do some damage at the Wacker. But I feel like psychologically Australia have had an advantage in Brisbane and Perth up until maybe last summer that we have not, business speak, um, leveraged um, in the last couple of test series. So it looks like we'll play what could be a dead rubber in Perth. If it's the last test, it's going to be an absolute ball terror. Um, but I don't think we've scheduled it in the optimum way that, that gives Australia an, the an best. An absolute what, sorry? Ball terror. Is that a technical term? It is. It's a very technical term. I, I, business speak, was it? I, I dropped into business speak and then I had to get <laughs> as far out of business speak as I possibly could. So, uh, look, it's it's going to be it's going to be an awesome series. I just hope that it's still alive in Perth. Well, we're going to split this week in cricket into two. So we'll be back after the break um, to talk IPL in the UAE, potentially Cameron Bancroft, County Cricket and Bamboo Bats. But a challenge to listeners before uh, we do go to a break. If you can get ball terror into a meeting, please do write in and tell us uh, how you managed to shoehorn that into your Monday morning uh, stand-up. We'll be back after the swish. Welcome back. We're going to talk scheduling squared. Let's start in the West Indies. Baldy? Raj? Raj? Yeah, I'll come off the long run. Um, so it's good to see that the West Indies have announced their schedule for this summer. So there's three tours going ahead. So South Africa, they've got two tests and five 2020s. That's in June June and the start of July. They've got a white ball test, uh, white ball series against Australia. That's the one that Manus is not going to be able to make it over for the county thing. I don't know if you've seen the... Um, the, the waves around that. But that will be good. That's 2020s and ODIs. And then finally, Pakistan's going and playing five 2020s and two tests there as well. So a total of 15 2020 matches for the West Indies uh, at home. And it's just, it's good to see other nations touring there after the West Indies have done a lot for cricket yeah, uh, over awesome. last year. Do you want to talk IPL scheduling? So lots going on there. There's a talk of a disrupted... English summer so they can squeeze that window in don't think the counties are particularly happy about that with the hundred likely to be affected if that was the play what do we want to say about about the IPL is it reasonable to actually squeeze this in with the amount of international cricket and the amount of bubbles that we've got going on that's the point I want to make I actually think it's ridiculous I, I completely ridiculous that that I know that there's a lot of money involved but do the the players aren't going to want to go to this are they I just cannot see any of the players wanting to go to this, particularly any of the international players, who, the Indian ones, who are going to be coming straight off uh, this five-match test tour in England. Then you've got, I think they've got four weeks, a four-week window from like the 15th of September to the 15th of October where they can try and squeeze it in. But the 18th of October, I think the T20 World Cup's supposed to start. So I just cannot see why any player that actually has ambitions to play in that T20 World Cup and wants to win, 
would want to go to this IPL where you're going to be crammed, you're going to be playing all these games as quickly as possible in the UAE. I know that then the T20 World Cup will probably be there as well. Mm. Can anyone give me a reason why you'd want to go other than money? Because I know I know it all does come down to money. I've got, I've got two reasons. Money, first <laughs> one. And secondly... Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> secondly, what better way to warm up for the World Cup than play in those those conditions that you're going to play in? I think... Uh, I, I haven't read... I'm not fully up to date on it, but I think they want to play the whole tournament in three weeks, did they say? Yeah, the remainder of weeks. the tournament? Th- 30 days. Right, yeah. so... so It's a hard one because we're here talking about what people should be doing or whatever, but, but the... The, the real decision should be in the players' hands. You yeah. Know? If, they, if, they, if they tee this up and go, this is what we want to do, make your decision. And people will, people will make the decision with their feet. Do you think it would be a viable tournament if none of the international capped cricketers went? Like if they all said, well, we've got to prepare for the T20 World Cup that's in a week after. We can't physically fit ourselves into the bubble. Is the IPL still viable as a domestic-only Indian tournament with those eight teams? I think it is. I, I actually think with just the uncapped non-international players, it would still be a pretty good tournament. It wouldn't be like at the heights that the Indian Premier League gets to when it's, you know, at its very peak. But but those some of those domestic players I think would, would still give a good account of themselves and a big watchable watchable cricket. I actually think no, and the other reason I think no is because even the international Indian players wouldn't be there. Because they'll still be no, England that, that, yeah, I'm coming back as well. In, I'm so I, I personally think it's it's around the product, and I think the product is diminished when those people aren't there. Mm. I, I think it's that yeah, we we've touched upon it, but f- for me, it's about the the welfare of the players. And look, I think some of them are, would want to go because it's going to get them in nick for that T Twenty World Cup. But let's be honest, there isn't a cricket board in the world that hasn't bent over backwards to accommodate IPL windows. You know, you look back not that long. Kevin Peterson was chastised for wanting to go and play in that. Every nation has now done what he was saying should have been done 10, 12 years ago and uh, and freed up their players to be able to be available for that whole window. When, look, a pandemic, but also, let's be honest, some pretty piss-poor planning has led to the the, the curtailment of this tournament. They're now saying, well, hold on, we, we want to try and carve out um, even 10 days of a 40-day period to try and squeeze in the rest of a franchise tournament. I, I'm sorry, it just does not sit well with me when you're talking about the you know the welfare of uh, of the players and that ultimately they are the product that you've got um, the the players, not the franchises. But what if they want to play? I, look, I just think it's creating a really really dangerous precedent for for world for world cricket. Um, and look, I'll go back to my point. I think this is, you know, it is completely reasonable to carve out a window so that all of that IP um, c- can play in a franchise tournament of the magnitude of the IPL, which I've got to admit, I've come round on massively as a fan, um, partly since we started doing the Fantasy League that I've done you know, tremendously <laughs> well in. Um, but, but, but also just because the, the quality of the product, I think, has improved with every nation actually committing fully to carving out that window. The fact that we were even talking about England and New Zealand players potentially missing a test match at Lords in order to allow them to play in a franchise tournament final shows how far the thinking has come that we actually would even uh, find that palatable. And but this uh, this is taking the piss, to be honest, I think. And we're playing the like the, you know the tiny violin for the for the cricket boards, you know, they're bending over backwards. I understand that we shouldn't be doing that. You know my feelings on that. People shouldn't be playing in the IPL if they have international cricket to play. But at the end of the day there is a real risk that you lose international quality players to the T20 circuit in this day and age. And that's what the boards have to deal with and that's why this window is there and they have to have the option if they want to play to go and play it. It's up to the players at the end of the day. Yeah, and look, the, the ECB have actually made it pretty clear. They've said, nah, we let you have your contract to go and play in it. Um, this is now clashing with international cricket. Sorry, you aren't going to be released to go and play in the tournament. And I think it needs Cricket Australia to do the same. Um, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, you've got the two other biggest boards, um, so, you know, actually playing a little part that I think ultimately is also going to help the smaller test playing nations as well. Because if, if England and Australia don't put their foot down, then all of a sudden we've got even more problems for for New Zealand cricket, for Pakistan cricket, for South Africa cricket, et cetera, et cetera. 
So what, what was the summary then, that final? I think they should play the IPL. They should, <laughs> sque- they should squeeze it in if they can. You know, it's a, you know, okay. We'll go, we'll go. Yeah, if only because, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I was just about to turn my form around in that fantasy league. <laughs> I, re- um, I, I really was. <laughs> Guys, what do we want to uh, talk about uh, next? Bamboo bats, Baldy? Well, or, ball, is, or balls made of tofu. What, uh, what do we think? Well, this has been a recent development. It's come out of England, um, funnily enough, uh, Cambridge University study, I think, uh, suggesting that a bamboo cricket bat, a layered bamboo kind of... Laminated, which is illegal. Cons- concertinaed together and, and, and stuck together with resin provides a better sweet spot and um, better sort of bat on ball... Um, because we're lacking that dynamics, yeah. Because bat it hasn't dominated ball enough. What we want to do is find a bat that's even <laughs> more um, stringy and reboundy than a than a regular cricket bat. It it it, it, was, it was brought up at the weekend uh, by um, a, a member of my family who would who was quite keen to make sure that I was I was across this issue. But I'm, this I'm a, a bit of a traditionalist, and I don't a think it's a sustainability thing, right? That's what they're, they're that, talking that's about. That's the angle, yeah. Is that it's more and, sustainable and a cost thing as well. So they, they think they can produce the bats. Um, more economically, which would help the growth um, of the game, no pun intended. But yep. uh, for me, bamboo's a grass, it's not a wood. Let's move on. Cool, done. Okay, yeah, thank you, right, fine. Um, so moving from uh, wood to sand, Baldy. Um, Here we go again. <laughs> well, mate, I'm sorry, Cameron Bancroft, um, interviewed by, I think, the Guardian newspaper. He's had a, a county stint um, over in England and alluded to the fact that the bowlers were fully aware of the indiscretions of some of the batting units. The uh, the fast bowling uh, cartel has come out. Nathan Lyon, I think, chipped in and said, nah, mate, um, as well, you know, joined, joined up with his brethren and has said, of course, we didn't know what was going on. Um, the gift that keeps on giving, Baldy. It does. It keeps on giving. And as long as, I guess, as long as people keep asking questions, people are going to keep answering them. And uh, I think we're going to get very little in the way of, more information until such time has passed that statutes of limitations have expired and people are able to write their tell-all post-career biographies. But um, until we get a ghostwriter involved, I don't think we'll ever get really to to an admission from anyone that they were involved in any way. Look, the fast bowlers have come out and said we didn't know the ball didn't con- the ball the condition of the ball didn't change sufficiently that the umpires thought it was altered and the umpires didn't change it. So. How would we know if the ball's been ball's been altered sufficiently? So that's their line. I have no reason to disbelieve what they've said because they've given me no reason to to doubt their bona fides. So you um, would disbelieve Cameron Bancroft? No. So ba- Cameron Bancroft didn't say that the bowlers knew. He said that um, awareness is self evident. So you can read into that what you will. It's a very intelligent comment from Cameron Bancroft. <laughs> yeah, Cameron Bancroft has, I, I think, spent far too long at the University of Cambridge and, and not <laughs> long enough in the Nets, perhaps. But, look, his comment is deliberately open-ended, as is David Sakers. Well, you could blame me, you could blame a whole bunch of people for what happened. And I think what he's trying to say is we failed as, as a coaching unit and as a leadership unit to put our cricketers and our people in a spot where they know what's expected of them. And when you don't give that leadership, bad stuff happens. People start taking things. Um, people start acting in a way that is not in line with the culture that you want to set, right? That's a failure of leadership. And that's why Australian cricket came down so hard on Steve Smith, because he failed as a leader. Not because he Sergeant Schultz his way around it and said, I know nothing, but because he didn't set an environment where the players knew that that was bad. I mean, they should have known that that was bad anyway. It's cheating, and it's cheating of, of an egregious nature. But they didn't establish that leadership. And I think that's what David Saker is really saying, is we all could should be blamed for that or could be blamed for that, not that whether or not we knew it was going to happen or we had an involvement in it. Serious question. Cameron Bancroft played his last game in a baggy green cap? No. No, I don't think so. I don't think that he's done anything to... Um, put his name through the record books he's done as punishment and he should be um, seen as having served his time and rehabilitated. He may not ever lead the Australian cricket team, but he certainly shouldn't be, you know, as long as Steve Smith and David Warner can play, then why shouldn't Cameron Bancroft play? Raj? He has played. He came back in the Ashes. Yeah, yeah. there's um, no reason why he shouldn't play again. He's just, yeah, he's got to be good enough. Um, the There's two aspects to this, right? So there's the, did they know, right? That's great. Park that on the side. The second thing is, did Cricket Australia actually want want to know? Did they carry out a thorough enough 
investigation or, or were they happy to, to put their head in the sand? Which is what a lot of people are saying. The guys like Michael Clark and Adam Gilchrist are saying things along those lines. Did they actually do a thorough enough investigation? Thoughts? Without, oh. without being privy to it, I don't know the, the answer, but it would appear as if these wounds are going to be opened up. And um, look, I, I, yeah, look, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a, a fellow countryman's newspaper's job to stir things up when we've got such an important series on the horizon for, for both countries. Absolutely, Absolutely um, you should. But yeah, I think you're going to hear a little bit more about this. And uh, I think we said last week the Barmy Army's certainly going to continue to sing about it. Yeah, I think if Australian cricket wanted to stick their head in the sand, they would have accepted the ICC's punishment, maybe tabled you know, that again on top of it and said, look, we've punished our players twice as much as anyone else has been punished in the history of cricket for ball tampering. We've given Smith an extra game. We've given Bancroft an extra two games. Then we're done. They didn't do that. They gave players an unprecedented and um, com- not unjustified, but completely out of proportion ban compared to any other cricketer who's tampered with a ball in the history of sport, right? It's a ban along the lines of doping or match-fixing, really. It's not a ban for tampering with the condition of the ball. So to suggest that Australian cricket has stuck their head in the sand from that perspective, I don't think is is justified. The comments that were made were around, did Australia go to the lengths that they needed to to establish whether or not it was a a conspiracy or a long-running campaign to alter the standard, to alter the condition of the cricket ball over a long period of time. I can't answer that, and I don't think Australia cricket got to the bottom of that. What's interesting, Raj, was your point that you made to me the other day, is that no one has been convicted of ball tampering since that incident in what we're closing on three years now since that happened. And the amount of reverse swing that we have seen <laughs> in world cricket since that incident has gone down pretty substantially now i don't think that that's necessarily not coincidental but you know people are people who want to connect those dots are going to start connecting those dots i I guess we have had at least 12 months now with no saliva on the ball as well so yeah different conditions yeah you know potentially so there's there's cause and effect questions that are being asked and stuff like that but if you want to draw a really long bow on any number of these issues you can because you're right Australia didn't interview all the people that were in the touring party at that time they interviewed most of them but not all of them they didn't interview people multiple times to make sure that they you know they they got their jobs right you know they're not line of duty AC12 well, I was going to say um, unless we get Mulder and Scully and I don't think we're ever yeah, going to get to the bottom of that <laughs> bottom so, of this yeah so and, and unless you're in you know, I do like that that party line from Australia or cricket Australia they say if you have some evidence bring it to us and we will investigate it otherwise stop talking about it yep fair enough maybe we should too <laughs> Well, that, that is a nice uh, segue. It's wetter than an otter's pocket in the UK at the moment, but not stopping Darren Stevens from continuing some pretty sensational performances um, as an evergreen cricketer of 45 um, years old and definitely rocking the XL shirt as well, Darren Stevens. 190 in his last game for Kent, sharing in a 166-run partnership with Miguel Cummins, who... Um, put in a very stellar um, one run. Oh, is that. that what it, is that what that is in the yeah. notes? He made one. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's the best bit about this whole thing. That's Particularly for me, as someone at tail end, I've been involved in not not to that extent, but I, I think I've been involved in a hundred run punch where I scored about seven, and that's fantastic. That's that's what you want when you're when you're a tail end batter. If you can get someone to a hundred. It's as good as getting a hundred because you're not going to do it yourself when you when you're down at that level and and uh, you don't really get those opportunities. So yeah, absolutely brilliant yeah, from Miguel sh- Cummins. Sh- shamefully enough, I was involved in an opening partnership uh, as an opening batter where we we were a hundred for none and I was nineteen not out. Uh, so you know you don't necessarily just need to be a tail ender Stuart to be in that in that situation. But Darren Stevens, he's a hell of a cricketer. Could is it ridiculous to think that he should probably get an England go soon, or is it just not? Because he's he's putting up huge numbers in county cricket, isn't he, for the last couple of years? If you can see Big C's face right now, I know, but <laughs> I, I like, I what would he have to do? Because the numbers that he's putting up are are quite staggering over the the last few years. If if you looked at them on paper and you didn't know how old Darren Stevens yeah. was, you would have to consider him for England selection, right? If like if if you did a double blind study and you put everybody's stats in a like in a big giant bag, and you had to kind of pick them out and look at them all without names attached to them or ages. And then pick an England side, he'd be the first person picked, wouldn't he? 
look, if um, yeah, if Billy Bean and, and Brad Pitt were picking this side, um, <laughs> look, absolutely. I, I think, look, I've seen actually probably more county cricket th- this year than I have in a long, long time because the streams have been really, really good. Yeah, um, for the, yeah, for for obvious reasons, you know, fans not allowed in the ground, so that the counties have really pushed those live streams. But it is nibbling around a hell of a lot. Um, the amount of really, really good players, and Marnus Labashain is one of them. He has been pinned LBW three or four times where literally he's just getting in line and it's just jagging all over the place and you're getting hit shin high on these low little seeming wickets by 75 mile an hour seamers. With all due respect to Darren Stevens, I think you put his 72 mile an hour medium pace with the keeper up onto a wicket at Lord's um, that doesn't do a lot sideways. Or Brisbane or Perth. He's going to, um, yeah, he's going to rack up enough air points to get home seriously upgraded. <laughs> um, and look, notwithstanding that, look, his batting was brutal. Um, but again, um, ma- made some real hay, um, but the, yeah, you know, I, the ball's not really bouncing too much. Yeah, I did see, as much as I wanted to play devil, it's devil's advocate there, I did see the highlights and all the boundaries that he hit. And uh, yeah, the... You, you gave Manus's bowling a bit of a slag off before. <laughs> the bowling didn't look that flash. Uh, you know, I can't remember who he was playing. And obviously, no. well, this is disrespect to those bowlers. I was going to say no disrespect. To disrespect but you are a little bit. Yeah. It wasn't very good. Let's just say that. Awesome. Well, look, that <laughs> just about wraps up this week in cricket. We will be back to talk an England-New Zealand series test preview. Um, so stay tuned and we'll be back after the swish. So first test coming up at Lords on June the 2nd. New Zealand about to start a three-day intra-squad game, if they can get on with the weather. All the social media pictures so far have seen New Zealand in the indoor schools um, at Southampton. What are we thinking about the lineup for that first test, which you know is a warm-up, after all, for the World Test Championship as well? Yeah, well, I guess that's probably the the place to start. I I think is uh, there's so New Zealand's got these two tests against England, and then they've got the World Test Championship. Those three tests from start to finish, I think, are concluded within 21 days or something. There's, it's a very short turnaround uh, between all of that time. And and I suppose the question for me really is is what do New Zealand do? Because we've you, you can look at these tests. You know, Baldy, you mentioned before, these are great opportunities to kind of, sometimes these kind of tests are great opportunities to introduce players into your squad. You, New Zealand have brought 20 people over there. They've got people like Will Young, who hasn't had a great opportunity. He's been over there in England. He scored a couple of hundreds for Durham. You've got someone like Ratchan Ravinja, Jacob Duffy, people who haven't had the opportunity at that level. Mm. But then you're also working towards the World Test Championship final, which is in three weeks. And you, you want to have your players primed for that position. So, I mean, where do we stand on this? We've got Trent Bolt, who's going to miss the first test anyway. Mm. But in that first test, Raja, are you are you picking your best eleven for New Zealand? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that New Zealand has the luxury of of doing the whole the whole Western rotation thing. Just over the years, we haven't had that sort of success. We've got a team now that can go anywhere in the world and be successful. I think it's time for us to cash in on that a little bit. Uh, obviously, there will be times where we need to rest and rotate people mm. but I think we've had a massive break from all cricket it's time to go and play our best team so in that first test Jamison Wagner and Southey in your bowling attack pick themselves you're probably going to take an all-rounder at seven and another bowler you would think into that test against England and Watling bats at six like that's New Zealand's formula who have you guys got at seven and eight in that squad if you've if Jamison Wagner and Southey all pick themselves the all-rounder spot is the the really really interesting question for me because I, it 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 depends on a couple of things. One, it depends on do we want to play a spinner at all? Because if you do, I think the only realistic way to get one, probably in this when you, when New Zealand is at full strength, Bolt will be in that extra bowler spot that you mentioned. Yeah. So you could go okay. Well. We could, while Bolt's not here, we could play Ajaz as that fourth bowler and we could pick either Daryl Mitchell or Colin de Gronholm as, as that seven spot all-rounder. Mm-hmm. That's one way to get your spinner in. The other way is you go, I'm going to pick out four seamers and you have Mitchell Santner, who, as we've discussed many times, he's not a 
particularly wicket-taking option. He's he's a holding bowler. He plays, he bowls much in the same way that he bowls in, in the limited overs formats. He bowls that way, you know, he, he he can do a job for you and he can be a batsman at mm. seven as well. And has done for New Zealand against England. Yep, yep. And, you know, yeah, they, I mean, that summer when New Ze- when England was down here, he took three wickets and, the, and they proved to be really important. He, mm. he can do that job, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't like that because I don't feel like it's a very attacking option. I would love to see, personally, Daryl Mitchell rewarded because I think he's just been so good this summer and I think he deserves to kind of be the incumbent at seven. My only question really around him is can he do a good enough job with the ball because we didn't really see him get that opportunity Mm. in the New Zealand summer because he didn't need to. So I guess for me, if, if, if I'm answering that question seven and eight, I'm picking uh, Matt Henry as my bowler, who's going to play. And for that seventh spot, I am probably picking my best batsman. And I think that is Daryl Mitchell. I think that if if you want to play Santner, you can, because he has that variety in his bowling. But I think and I, I want to elongate that batting lineup if I have to, and I'm going to trust my bowlers to do the job. Mm. Mm. It, it, I mean, I guess the other thing is there's... Is there any thought, I suppose, I, I I know they won't do it, but I know we have talked in the past about trying to pick a specialist batsman at six and going, you know, maybe Will Young or, or playing Conway, playing Young up the order and playing Conway down below and, and going, okay, well, let's just have six specialist batsmen, Watling and then our four seamers. I, I don't think they will do that, but it is always an option that they could they could try and put put in place if they are really worried about the seeming tracks in England. So I'm just really surprised that we've not mentioned Colin de Grandhomme here from a form over the last couple of years. You know, I, I don't know the stats, but I'd imagine he's he's averaging pretty close to 50 over the last couple of years with the bat, to your point around playing your best batsman at seven. Um, can bowl a few overs and has the best mullet, I think, you oh, have yeah. ever... If we were just picking hairdos. If you yeah. picking hairdos. But in all seriousness, though, does he not deserve to be in that spot given that he's helped get New Zealand to this World Test Championship over the course of the last two years? I thought about Colin de Gronholm a lot in preparation for this podcast and I, I really wanted to put him in that number seven spot. I think he has the the kind of bowling that suits English conditions a little bit better than Daryl Mitchell in that he has a record, a track record of nibbling the ball around in, in conditions that are friendly. The reason I didn't have him in there or I had him bracketed with Mitchell and why I wanted to ask you guys from a New Zealand point of view is I think you're right. I think Mitchell has had such a good season that he kind of deserves to keep his spot. And I know that Colin de Gronholm has been battling with with injury and that kind of counts against him a little bit because it has allowed Mitchell to rise up um, over the course of the summer across all formats. But I just I, I do think that Mitchell does provide you a little bit more with the bat. Um, but his his bowling is a little bit of an unknown, and and if Colin de Gronholm was fit, I think he he would intrigue the selectors because he has that ability to just wobble a ball about a bit. I I completely agree with you there, and I I would play de Gronholm if I wanted to play a spinner. If I wanted to play Ajaz, I would play de Gronholm because de Gronholm can be your fourth seamer. Yeah, I and and this first test is the the opportunity to do that. But to me, if if you're looking at de Gronholm. And you're picking him as a, you know, because of the the things that he can do with the ball. And you've already got four seamers in there. Like those, if those four seamers can't do the job, I think we're struggling. You know, like yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. My 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 balance would I had Santner down at at eight, and then a question of Degronholm and Mitchell because I would want a spinner in there. I think I, just, I, just, I don't traditions. know why we're discussing AJS. We've just talked about how he's lost his contract. He's he's being. I'm going to use the word irrelevant. That's probably very harsh. But at the moment, he is irrelevant to that New Zealand setup. Definitely in New Zealand. In New Zealand. But I think if they play a spinner, I, I they they would like to play Ajaz as their spinner. It's just that how it's the balance and how they do that because of the the emergence of Kyle Jamieson. Really, it's the most if, animated I've ever seen you. If they on do this that, podcast. if they do that in England, then they're definitely going to play him in the subcontinent. They're definitely going to play him everywhere. So where is he not going to be played? Well, he's not going to be played in New Zealand, and that's the thing. That's why he doesn't get a contract, because most of our games in New Zealand, he's just not going to get that opportunity. So, yeah, I I, I think that they won't play him in these three tests, but I, I think that they still view him as our number one test spinner. Breathe, Lippy. When it comes back to Conor Grandhomme, I think that's a really good point. He, I think 
there is a stat there that over a you know rolling two year average at some point he was averaging fifty in Test cricket, mm. scoring runs. Um, but possession, if we're in America, is nine tenths of the law. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that's one of those urban myths. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it sounds good. He 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 doesn't have possession currently. He's been out of the side. There's people who have come in and really really performed who I think deserve their first shot. Anyway, but good okay. question, Baldy. And, and let's say so. Let's say we've we've picked those guys in that first test. We picked our best lineup. We play. You just play them again. You play them all three tests. Those, those we, that same win. squad. If, yeah. you, if you're winning, you know I don't feel like you change a winning squad unless there's other factors like the pitches. Yep. yep. Like they're in um, Chennai or something. Yeah. We're not worried about the workload. Three tests and such quick turnaround. No. Not from Wagner. Not from Jamison. Not from Saudi. Bolt's only going to play a couple of tests. So I think you're fine. Four years ago, we wouldn't be worried about a three-test workload, right? No, no, good. I like it. So, so, so Bolt essentially is coming in for the seamer who doesn't perform in those first two well, tests. I, we think, I think for it, the World I, Test I, Championship I th- final. I think those Jameson, Wagner, Sally are all in, aren't they? I mean, the thing is that those guys have just done it for. They've done it for, well. In Jameson's case, it's only been one year, but Wagner and Sally have been doing it for years and years and years, and and. You know, your point around putting guys who've put New Zealand in this position, I think, uh, you know, even when we talked to Matt Henry about how these guys want to be, they've worked towards this and it it is the opportunity to do, they view it as the opportunity to do something special. These are the guys that have earned that right. They've earned that right to be there, yeah. Okay, so let's let's move on. Let's talk about the real rock stars of of cricket here. Let's talk about the batsmen. So if the New Zealand in the New Zealand lineup. So Latham, Latham, Latham's going to hold that one spot, uh, opening the batting. You've got a blank spot there. You've got your Williamson, Taylor, and Nichols. I'm going to give him number is five. Is Taylor fit? Taylor is currently, he's currently going to be scheduled. fit. He's in. A, he is in England. He's okay. gone away with the squad. Okay. So you've got two spots. You've got an opening spot, and you've oh, actually that's it. No, you've, no, got no, you've, got that, no, you've got an opening spot. If Taylor's fit, you've only got one spot. And you've got Will Young, who's scoring runs in England currently, and you've got Devin Conway. Who's, who's right up there with New Zealand's greats alongside Williamson and Taylor? What do you do, Baldy? He's got to open the batting. Is that that's that's, that's the, the spot theory, available? That's the spot available. I pick Devin Conway. Oh, that's not even a question, honestly. Okay, I, <clears throat> no. But the question is, do you open with Devin Conway? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, yes. I think you do. He's better three for Wellington. He's opened in other formats of the game. Yes. He's he, you know, I think Binksy made a good point uh, when we were talking about Conway in, in earlier episodes that, you know, Test cricket is a different beast, and and you know, playing against Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson, this is going to be a massive test, and and it's a much bigger test than the white ball stuff that we've seen him in, but he's just looked so good at a international level. He's looked so good in New Zealand first class level for such a long time. I know Will Young has done a decent job. He's been scoring runs in county cricket. But it's it's the same case that you know we've made about him, Conway. Sort of we, before Young was really in the conversation around whether Blundell should be opening or Conway. Conway just looks better than those guys, and I think he's just got to be yeah. there. It's no disrespect to Will Young at all that you're picking Devin Conway ahead of him in in that test lineup. It would be like saying you've only got one spot in the world eleven. Who are you going to put in from New Zealand, Kane or Ross? You know, if you if you selected Ross. Then you're not going to lose anything. Then you've made the wrong call, but yeah, but but, but <laughs> you have prime, to pick Kane, prime. right? You have to pick Kane because he is a better cricketer. That's not because Ross Taylor is not a good cricketer, and Fair. it's not because Will Young is not a good batsman who would do the job. It's because at the moment Devin Conway is a shade or two better. The only other option I can see is that uh, you move Henry Nichols up to open, which I feel is supremely unfair on him. Mm. But uh, it's I just also, another stopgap, right? I, I just yeah, it's one of those ones where you pick your best batsman and you fit him in. Yeah, fit him in the team. Spot on. Yeah, I, look, I feel Young will be and feel a little bit hard done by. Um, but, you know, he's averaging just under 40 in this county season. Conway's probably aren't the right ahead of those numbers, I would I would think, in that um, in that test um, side. I guess what might put the cat among the pigeons is if Ross Taylor isn't fit for that first test. And then they probably go Latham, Conway, I think Young would, op- Young would Young, open. Young would open and yeah. Conway might bat four. 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 Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, that would solve a few problems, but uh, yeah. we but want Ross Taylor there if he's fit. We do. Oh, absolutely. 
moving on to England, Binksy, I mean, we talked about this New Zealand side. It's quite a settled lineup. You know, we're, I guess we're, in a way, we're trying to manufacture, you know, things, situations so that some of these new guys can get in. England have decided not to play the IPL players. There are a few new names we talked about uh, on the podcast. Uh, I think after that England-India series, we named all of those uh, fringe, well, not fringe players, uh, that batting lineup for, for England. And, you know, you, you run through the likes of Sibley, Crawley, Lawrence, Pope, Burns, all those guys. And we went, you know, who do you keep? Who do you who do you discard? And, and they've decided to keep all of them in, in this squad. Where, you know, what do you see England doing in this series, I suppose? Yeah, so the the interesting thing for me is Rory Burns has scored some runs in this recent round of county championship matches, which has made um, Raj extremely happy. But I think you have a 50 um, and 100 for Surrey in a draw against Middlesex. So look, I I think um, he's probably just done enough at the right time um, to make sure that he's got that opening spot. Sibley come back for Warwickshire, 40-odd in their game. Um, but apparently there's still some concerns over whether or not he can field. Um, so, you know, you can hide someone in the county championship match a little bit. Not sure you're going to be able to do that in a test match, but you would assume that if he's fit enough to, to play this round of county championship games and comes through that unscathed and can do a bit of catching practice, he takes his place at the top of the order. Um, Crawley at three, Root at four. Um, Lawrence probably keeps his spot at five. Ollie Pope at six. Um, and then Ben Folks um, at seven. As you mentioned, IPL players missing, so there'll be no Chris Wokes, um, there'll be no Joffrey Archer, there'll be no Benjamin Stokes, um, there'll be no Joss Butler. Um, it's looking like... No a sh- Johnny Bairstow. Um, no Johnny Bairstow. Um, he's not in the squad either, so he might find it very difficult to Definitely make his way no in. Definitely no Johnny yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So I think, I think for me, that the, the, the choice is really, if they go really, really, really left field and also are extremely harsh. James Bracey could get a go um, with the gloves at seven ahead of Ben Folks um, if they want to, um, you know, fiddle around with um, trying to fit a, a bowl, an extra bowler, an extra bowler in there. I don't think that they do that. Um, in my personal opinion, I think um, England have been pretty consistent with their selections. I don't think they're about um, to throw Folks um, out with the bathwater. Is that from a betting... So you're saying that uh, Bracey's a better batsman than folks? Yeah, so Bracey bats top four for his county side, right. Gloucestershire, and he's got the gloves for Gloucestershire as well. So there's an argument he might actually bat a little bit higher up the order. Um, and, and look, I guess it's one of those conversations, you know, if, if he really wants to have a run, does he, does he sit behind Joss Butler, who's, you know, likely to play another two or three years of test cricket at least before... The IPL coin is just too irresistible for him to um, throw it, you know, throw it all in. Um, or does he potentially go back to his county side and say, "Well, actually, no, I want to bat up the order because I can see an opportunity." And there, for me, it's a shootout between Robinson and Overton for that extra seaming spot. Um, I think you would have to, um, you would need to don full riot gear if you were going to go into either James Anderson or Stuart Broad's room and tell them that they aren't <laughs> opening the bowling in the first test match um, of the summer. So I think they um, they are locks. And then a little bit like New Zealand, there's a question as to whether or not England play um, a spinner. Um, Leach would be the man that you would play. I don't, I don't think Don Bess is going to play in England, no matter how much he offers with the bat and, and with his fielding. Um, so I think it, you know it's a shootout for... Um, for for Leach to play, so that you know there is a chance they play an all seam attack. I find it highly unlikely they will. I think Leach will play uh, with Broad, um, Anderson, um, Robinson, or Overson, and, and Leach, and they'll go in with that four man attack. Um, maybe a, a few filthy little spinners from uh, from Joe Root, who's been bowling the county championship as well. So uh, we have mentioned it earlier in the podcast. There is the the statement or the line there that that no English player should debut in the Ashes uh, this year. So what is your feelings on, on that sort of statement? And I guess, is that too forward thinking? They're not thinking about the now. Well, let's remember that these two test matches against New Zealand are not in the World Test Championship. Um, so they don't really count for a hell of a lot um, from a, a future tours perspective. Or, or There's nothing on these, um, these games other than that pre-Ashes and pre-India preparation, actually, for the rest of the summer. That's a really big series Pride um, coming up. Pride, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, pride comes before a fall, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but look, I, jokes aside, I, I, I honestly think that 
England's biggest worry for me is at the top of the order um, in terms of their, their batting. Stokes walks back into this side. This is a shootout for the likes of um, Burns and Lawrence and Pope to see who is going to be going um, to the Ashes. I can't, I can't see a debutant from a batting perspective from outside of this group um, playing the Ashes in uh, in November, December this year. I mean, the fact that we were talking, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, or a month ago, or whatever it was, about, you know, are any of these guys going to kind of survive the chop, I, I think is is the point here, that and in, in a good one that you've just raised there. It's a great opportunity for these guys, isn't it? it? And it may be last chance for some of these guys. I know they're young, but, you know, once you, you talked about position being nine-tenths of the law... That, that's the thing for these guys. If if they lose their spot, then someone you're giving someone else an opportunity to get in, and mm. yeah, will they ever will they ever get it back? Because the challenge for these guys is that there's going to be one or two less spots available in that batting lineup. Mm. You know, once you get into that India series, and and Butler and and Stokes come back, um, and if anyone else emerges out of the woodwork, there could be two less spots in the order. So, I think for for Lawrence and for Crawley and for Burns and Sibley, maybe. I think those four guys are really in a shootout. I think the England selectors will stick with Ollie Pope a little bit. I think that he's got a little bit more rope um, than the other guys. I I think that they will. I still stand by my comments from a few weeks ago. Um, I think these guys, you know, as much as I I, I like the look of Pope... um, I actually really, really like the look of Crawley. I, I think love he's going to be a, a, a fantastic cricketer. Um, I like the confidence that Dan Lawrence has, has brought in. Um, you know, he's he's had some ripping up trees seasons in county cricket, um, but you know he hasn't really um, fully shown, apart from that seventy odd in India, um, the kind of metal that I would I would want to see. I think we get our asses handed to us by. Um, by India and still go to the Ashes because that if you look at that top four there's or top five there's really only for me Crawley, Root and Ben Stokes um, that I think are, are bankers for a 400 run series um, in Australia and we know that you need to score 450 in Australia to be competitive so I, I honestly just can't see um, where those runs are going to come from. I think this might be a bit of an arse nipper in terms of the seam attacks, um, England and New Zealand. And I think uh, comment down there is two bowling attacks that are, you know, if not at the peak of their powers, pretty close to that. Um, so, you know, I'm, I don't expect this to be an absolute run fest. Mm. Um, and yeah, like the Ashes, you know, the, the England guys and the Australian guys, there weren't many hundreds in the Ashes series and um, certainly weren't too many batting sides or batting players averaging over 40 in that series. And I think we'll see the same here. We always finish. Uh, we, we obviously have shown in the past few weeks what how, how good our predictions are. We always do like to finish with predictions. This two test series. Let's just start with that, Raj. What's the weather like? Poor. At the moment, it's wet. Very wet. Mm. Okay, I'm going to go one nil to New Zealand. One nil. Two. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> I was hoping that you'd move on quickly. Oh, yeah, I think New Zealand do win 1-0. I, I, I don't know why. I just think New Zealand's bowling attack has got a slight edge, even though you've got Anderson and Broad in that England side. Oh, I'll go. I'll go because I, I think New Zealand wins these two tests. I, I really think if, you know, if we play them, obviously, um, I, I think we've been playing some really great cricket in the last few in the last year or so. You know, Australia tourists aside, these conditions should suit our bowling attack. I think we go out there and win. That that England batting lineup to me, without you know, England and England is missing some of their best players. New Zealand is taking, apart from Bolt in that first first test, we're taking a full strength side over there, trying to build towards something that actually really matters to those guys. I think they'll be looking to win that two 0 If there's no weather, New Zealand win this two 0 um, but the long-range forecast for me, it's nil-nil because it's going to rain too much. Um, but no, genuinely, I, I think I, I, if, if we get two games that have enough overs um, to constitute a decent game of cricket, if, I see New Zealand winning this 2-0. If Archer and um, Stokes are playing, what what is your prediction then? Is, is this based solely on the squad is what I'm... Because the squad is interpreted to be a little bit weaker than normal. Yeah, but I still think the I still think to to an extent the bowling is is there without um, Archer. Um, if you had to press me off the top of my head, one nil 
to New Zealand still, even with Archer and Stokes um, there. Um, I, I, I've just really got worries. I, you know, Root, we're going to rely a hell of a lot yeah. on Joe Root. He's going to have to score 100 in, in one of the test matches for, for England to be a chance, right? Or someone in that, in that other group of four or five guys has got to play out of their skin. And yeah. I, I can't see it happening. Burns really. going to score a big hundred in one of these tests, I think. Well, I hope you're wrong. I'll have a whiskey bet on you on on that with you. Shake hands. B- Burns oh. to score a hundred. Yeah, That's, you said a big hundred. What uh, define a big hundred? One hundred and one. <laughs> okay, time to wrap up. I think one forty. One forty plus. Sure, I'll take it. Okay, excellent. Johnny Walker, um, on the way for for one of us, and we'll let you know um, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, who has savoured a fine blend of Scotch whiskey? Well, that just about wraps up this episode of the Top Order Podcast. Make sure you find us on social media or thetoporderpodcast.com. Look out for Ken Rutherford, who'll be out in your feed as well in the coming days. We've got plenty of interviews coming up, so stay tuned for that as we close in on New Zealand, England in the Test matches and the World Test Championship between India and New Zealand coming up very soon. As Adam would say, good night, God bless, and we'll talk to you soon.